Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, I'm your host for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School podcast, Michael Benner. Today we're going to read Chapter 5 of the audiobook version of Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. This may be my favorite chapter in the book, frankly, What is Love?, and I look forward to diving right in. But I want to remind you that the paperback is available wherever fine books are sold, online or in brick-and-mortar stores. And though the ebook is currently available only on Amazon, by the beginning of November, the ebook will be available in all formats wherever ebooks are sold. So before you decide where you're going to buy either format of Fearless Intelligence, check out our main website at fearlessintelligence.com. You can read a synopsis of the book. There's a little blurb there and also a bio about me with links that'll take you where you need to go to buy the book or leave a review. And again, I very much appreciate your interest and support in waking up to expanded self-awareness with Fearless Intelligence. And now, Chapter 5, What is Love? Not only do you have the love you're looking for, you are the love you're looking for. My wife, Doreen, and I moved from Los Angeles to the Hawaiian island of Maui in 2007 to produce a series of personal development audio programs called Finding Yourself in Paradise. We had planned a two-year project, but we stayed five years until the allure of family and friends brought us back to L.A. Maui is a relatively small island, 48 miles long and 26 miles across at its widest point. The residential population is about 120,000 people, though over 2.2 million tourists visit each year. The northeastern or windward side receives over 300 inches of rain annually, yet the average rainfall on the leeward south and west coasts, best known to tourists, is about 13 inches per year. With residents living as high as 4,000 feet on the 10,023-foot Haleakala Volcano, countless microclimates offer a variety of living experiences. We lived in Maui's rural upcountry region, Makawao and Kula, amid cattle ranches, farms, and residents of every imaginable ethnicity. The volcanic vent that forms the archipelago comes out of the Pacific's mid-ocean ridge, making Hawaii the world's most remote islands. Consequently, the plants and animals have evolved in isolation. Many are now endangered and unique to Hawaii. The Polynesian people first settled the islands between 300 and 500 A.D., the current era. A second, larger immigration followed between 1000 and 1300 C.E. Once British explorer Captain James Cook arrived in 1778, the culture was changed forevermore. 
As reports of this tropical paradise reached Europe and America, missionaries, whalers, and land speculators descended on the remote island chain. Besides bringing the first rats and roaches to the Hawaiian kingdom, Howleys, or foreigners, usually Caucasian, also introduced smallpox, whooping cough, measles, influenza, dysentery, and the common cold. Having no prior exposure and therefore no immunity to these strange diseases, hundreds of thousands of Hawaiians died. Despite some degree of understandable hostility toward their Haole occupiers, Hawaiians have remained a hospitable and compassionate people. Their acceptance of aloha as a life force is mystical, pedantheistic, and not unlike the perennial philosophies of Vedantism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Neoplatonism, and Theosophy. The aloha spirit of the Polynesian culture in Hawaii is even more beautiful than its tropical flowers, luminous rainbows, lush rainforests, towering waterfalls, and multicolored beaches. Tragically, self-righteous Christian missionaries destroyed their holy heiaus or temples, slandered their kahuna priests as devil worshippers, and by 1819, their ancient religious practices were outlawed. The Hawaiian language, sacred hulas, and chants were nearly lost. Fortunately, a nationalistic movement in the 1870s and a revival of Hawaiian music in the 1970s ensured the survival of the island's Polynesian culture. Encouraged by the gentle weather to live outdoors year-round, Hawaiians delight in the harmony of nature. They revere kindness, equanimity, peace, and love, not only emotional love, but the refined, unconditional spiritual love that is aloha. Taken literally, aloha means the breath of God. It is absolute love and acceptance. Therefore, all things are sacred. The volcano, the plants and animals, the ocean and fish, the sky, the birds, the sun and moon and the stars. Everything lives and breathes. Though separate in appearance, the wise Hawaiian kahuna are fond of saying, all come from the same rainbow. The primary ideals of this mystical culture are imbued with love including mana, the divine life force flowing through and connecting all things, amakua, a mortal human's overshadowing soul, spiritual essence, or ancestral spirit, aina, the land as a diverse but unified ecosystem supporting all life with food, water, and air. Hawaiians love the aina as uniformly sacred, from caldera to ocean floor, feeding the people and engendering their children. Ohana, the extended family plus close friends and neighbors, the basic unit of Hawaiian culture. Pono, righteousness, doing the right thing for the greatest good of all. Kuliana, your personal accountability and responsibility to help other people.
and Mele, a traditional chant or song to numerous deities celebrating the love of life and nature. Music includes sacred hula dancing, accompanied by slack key guitar, slide guitar, ukulele, three-stringed ukeke, or jaw harp, the zaphone, a bamboo saxophone, nose flute, conch shell, and three basic percussion instruments, the pahu drum, the ipu, a large rattle made from gourds, and the kaiki-iki, a bamboo slapstick. The Greatest of All Mysteries Just as a novel tells us about its author and a painting reveals the artist, the universe discloses the creative life force in all things. That life force has many names, chief among them love, consciousness, wisdom, and awareness. Beyond the emotional feelings associated with love, we find the ultimate awareness, the inclusivity of the universe, one thing, una, turning around, verse. The primary creed in all philosophy and theology is the understanding that everything is love and therefore absolute and sacred. Further, non-dual philosophies insist that even wickedness and corruption are a necessary polarity of the one thing. Love is the energy from which all people and things are made. You are connected to everything in your world through love. Dr. Brian L. Weiss, psychiatrist and hypnotherapist. We search for love outside ourselves when love is all around us. Love is everywhere. Don Miguel Ruiz, shaman. The kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. Jesus Christ, Gospel of Thomas, Chapter 3. Love is a force that connects us to every strand of the universe. Emily Hilburn Sell, author. If you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. Fyodor Dostoevsky, author. Love is the only thing that's real. Everything else is an illusion. Marianne Williamson, author. That love is all there is, is all we know of love. Emily Dickinson, poet. Be drunk with love, for love is all that exists. Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi, Sufi saint. The eye through which I see God is the same eye through which God sees me. My eye and God's eye are one eye, one seeing, one knowing, one love. Meister Eckhart, philosopher and mystic. Not only do we already have the love we're looking for, we are the love we're looking for. Because everything is sacred, a resolute intention to love without judgment, to love even our enemies with compassion and forgiveness, redeems all fear, heartache, and confusion. 
We will never understand love as long as we think of it only in emotional terms. In its fullness, love is awareness, the miracle of sentience that endows us with perception and comprehension. It is the celestial conscience that imbues us with logic, imagination, intuition, empathy, and a wide range of physical and emotional sensations, from excruciating torment to ineffable joy. As awareness, love is the driving force and vivifying principle of life. It is fearless intelligence, freedom, and serenity. Love is the formless magnetic power upon which all form takes shape, lives, moves, and has its being. Love is the way, the light, and the path by which we seek goodness, truth, and beauty. In an impermanent and ever-changing universe, love alone remains fully inclusive, eternal, and infinite. Love is the ultimate reality the definitive truth. It alone creates order out of chaos, redeems the imperfect, and harmonizes multiplicity into oneness. Love is absolute, the ground of being, the godhead of all that is. Alchemical Gold In their search for a means of transmuting one elemental metal into another, Medieval alchemists learned to extract gold from ore with superheated ovens called athenors. Over time, the fires of the athenor burned away the ore's dross until only gold remained. These metaphorically-minded hermetic scientists thought the scorching adversity of life might burn off humanity's evil nature until only divine qualities remain. As the spiritual illusion of purgation became better known, the Athenor was called the Philosopher's Furnace. Representing purification and the responsibility of power, the Athenor's blazing flames were dubbed the Philosopher's Sword, while the term Philosopher's Stone symbolized the crystallization of knowledge and reason into enlightened moral wisdom. In this way, the mythical Arthurian sword in the stone was not a test of physical strength, but a wizard's assay to disclose the moral purity and spiritual worthiness of contenders for Camelot's throne. Despite the alacrity with which humans can kill, torture, rape, slander, and steal, our capacity for love, respect, forgiveness, and compassion stands in sharp contrast. And though the fear of anything unknown appears to suppress human goodness, love is the goal that survives the purgation of man's impurities. Fear is an abyss of unawareness and ignorance. Love is the substantial quality of awareness and wisdom, radiant, cohesive, redemptive, eternal, and infinite. Russian author Leo Tolstoy wrote, Seize the moment of happiness, love, and be loved. That is the only reality in the world. All else is folly. More recently, John Lennon sang, 
Love is real. Real is love. The noblest purpose of human evolution is the personal growth that comes from our willingness to redeem ignorance and fear with understanding and love. The meaning of life is found in how we pursue our passions and interests. Psychologist Eric Fromm wrote, There is no meaning to life except the meaning man gives his life by the unfolding of his powers. Writer Herman Hesse agreed, We insist life must have a meaning, but it can have no more meaning than we ourselves are able to give it. Because individuals can do this only imperfectly, religions and philosophies have tried to supply a comforting answer to the question. The answers all amount to the same thing. Love alone can give life meaning. In other words, the more capable we are of loving and of giving ourselves, the more meaning there will be in our lives. Love is the yellow brick road, the only safe passage through the uncertainty, insecurity, and impermanence of life. It is the spiral path to our infinite source. There is no path to love, for love is the way. Just as there is no way to peace, because peace is the way, and no way to happiness, as happiness is the way. Love, peace, and happiness live eternally as the awareness of the indwelling soul. As the Persian poet Rumi has written, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Magnetic love flows one way. There is only one source of love, awareness, the divine absolute. Just as our emotional feelings are internal responses to external relationships, events, and circumstances, the only love you'll ever feel is the loving awareness that enlivens each one of us. When a puppy excitedly licks your face, the loving joy that lives within you is stimulated, but that love did not come from the puppy. Similarly, when someone compliments you or says they love you, the feeling that results is your love. The puppy and the person have encouraged you to feel safe enough to temporarily release your resistance to the loving life force within. Not only do our emotions come from within rather than toward us from others, the life force, loving awareness, moves through us and out into the world. Perhaps the most shocking statement you'll read in this book is, you cannot get love from others. You can only give it away through kindness. The love you feel has always been and will always be within you. True love needs nothing in return not love in kind, nor even appreciation. By freely offering love, we enhance the flow through us, like opening a water faucet, reducing the resistance, boosts the flow. 
Love is not a commodity that can be held or possessed, and it is much more than an emotional feeling. Love is awareness, an energy that radiates a magnetic field, sometimes called an aura or etheric body. The feeling of two people sharing their love for each other comes from these force fields engaging, interacting, and reinforcing each other. It is understandable that we may believe each of us is exchanging love with others, but more accurately, our mutual attraction is like two magnets. When juxtaposed, the radiant force field of each magnet attracts it toward the other. Others may stimulate the emotional and spiritual love we feel from our relationships, but the love is always within us. Only our fearful resistance limits the love we feel as we interact. When someone insults us, we're likely to tighten and unconsciously restrict the vital energies flowing through us. When someone is kind and loving, we relax which enhances the flow. But the love we're looking for is always within us. Love as higher consciousness. Another term for loving awareness is higher consciousness. It is the majesty of reality as goodness, truth, and beauty, moment to moment without judgment. Sadly, most of us rarely glimpse the entirety of reality because our perception is filtered and distorted by our thoughts, beliefs, expectations, moods, and attitudes. For example, take a moment right now to visualize a beautiful nature scene. Imagine how safe and relaxed you feel, relishing the splendor all around you. Suddenly, a dangerous animal emerges, a tiger, a bear, or poisonous snake. The environment around you remains just as lovely, but your awareness is involuntarily altered by the apparent danger. Self-awareness is restricted by mundane stress and anxiety in the same way, if not to the same degree. Our habitual attitudes and belief systems, desires, and attachments inhibit and distort our awareness of the beauty, peace, freedom, and joy that reality constantly offers. Though our enduring mental activity influences self-awareness, thinking is not vital to living. We do not faint or fall asleep when our mind goes blank for a moment or two, like suddenly forgetting what we're saying or whether we locked the door when we left home. The initial sensory deprivation experiments in the mid-1950s surprised scientists who expected subjects would fall asleep when physical stimuli was blocked. Those who were somewhat sleepy often did fall asleep, but most subjects entered states of expanded awareness, often reporting profound insights and euphoric states of reverie. Self-awareness is not an effect of thinking. You cannot reason yourself into being more aware. On the contrary, thoughts distract us from the fullest awareness of our unfolding existence. 
The development of self-awareness requires us to consciously detach and step back or rise above our mental commotion, to watch and witness our mental and emotional reactions before choosing whether to agree or take part. Don't believe everything you think. Who are you when your thoughts clash? Our thought patterns and belief systems are often false and misleading, and logic can deceive us. Just because all crows are black does not mean all blackbirds are crows. We are much more than the thinker. We have the ability to pause and reflect upon our thoughts before assuming they are reliable. Refusing to accept every thought as valid reveals our identity as self-awareness, able to consciously choose a response, or perhaps to not respond at all. Detaching awareness from thought and feeling engenders wisdom. Self-aware individuals refuse to become victims of their feelings and thoughts. Accepting accountability for our actions and reactions is not self-blame, but self-empowerment. Choosing to be happy for no particular reason while learning from our heartache and frustration is liberating. Self-awareness allows us to sidestep high anxiety and confusion by remembering our choices, more options than are immediately apparent. Just as we can switch from deliberate breathing to watching our body reflexively breathe itself, we can switch from rote thinking to a non-judgmental awareness of thoughts unfolding on their own. The fear of our shadow self. Few things are as frightening as exploring the truth of our authentic individuality. The separated self, the personality or ego we presume ourself to be, is a role we play. The Latin word persona refers to the theatrical masks worn by ancient Greek and Roman actors. The awareness that there is goodness and depravity in every individual helps us appreciate the complexity, ambiguity, and contradictions in those we encounter in daily living. Yet even when we accept the sweeping potential in each of us, we can be drawn into bifurcating the world into groups that are either wholeheartedly good or entirely bad. The famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung viewed the human persona as having two parts, a civilized ethical side and a demonic shadow self. Perhaps Jung was inspired by Robert Louis Stevenson's novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. A case can also be made that the current popularity of vampire and zombie stories reflects humanity's unconscious shadow side, while our obsession with superheroes reveals our deep-seated desire for a messiah or savior to deliver us from evil. Given to searching for deep symbolic meaning, Jung suggested humanity's shadow side is the invisible Saurian tale that man still drags behind him 
Carefully amputated, it becomes the healing serpent of the mysteries. This is a reference to the ancient Egyptian Ouroboros and Lemniscate, in which snakes shed their skin, representing the cycle of life, healing, reincarnation, and spiritual immortality. Though the shadow side is fear-based and survival-oriented, it provides the contrast needed to elevate and redeem our self-view. In Jung's words, once one has experienced a few times what it is like to stand judgingly between the opposites, one begins to understand what is meant by the self. Anyone who perceives his shadow and his light simultaneously sees himself from two sides, and thus gets in the middle. There can be no light without shadow, no redemption without sin. To be illuminated by love and compassion, we must confront our unconscious fear and ignorance. Only by standing between and above our egoic shadow and ethical conscience will we realize our authenticity and aspire to the refinement of our potential. The shadow's unrelenting fear conforms to several conflicting themes. We are afraid of being alone, yet frightened by committed loving relationships. We are afraid of change, yet just as frightened by feeling stuck. We want to understand, but often feel as if ignorance is bliss. The more frightened we are, the more conservative and reactionary our social and political views become. For the most part, pro-war, pro-capital punishment, bigotry, misogyny, anti-union, anti-scientific, and anti-intellectual hostility are reflections of unconscious personal fear. While there is no end to the reasons nationalists and alt-right conservatives offer to explain their social and political views, research at New York University in 2017 reveals a biological predisposition linked to the volume of the amygdala, the limbic brain's primitive fight-or-flight center. Those with larger amygdalas tend to hold reactionary and conservative views. Subjects with a smaller fear center in their brain are more likely to be active in socially progressive causes and protests. Love as Spiritual Life Force Life is cyclic. Nothing rests. Nothing lasts. Everything has its ebb and flow in a state of perpetual flux. So it's realistic to hope for improvement whenever we're unhappy or frightened. Yet our enjoyment of life and desire for stability tempts us to overlook the basic law of impermanence. It is foolhardy to presume our material possessions may never wear out, rust, rot, or fade away or believe the satisfaction of acquisition and possession should also persist. Even emotional love produces both pleasure and pain. We cannot fully appreciate love, happiness, or contentment as long as we ignore the truth of change and impermanence. 
We are naive if we expect joy and fulfillment without heartache and loss. Only spiritual love as supreme awareness is unconditional and eternal. Before initiating change, we must first accept the reality of what's happening right now before our very eyes. By even labeling circumstance as right or wrong, good or bad, happy or sad, we are filtering and distorting the peace, joy, and contentment each moment guarantees, if only we can learn to accept the truth of things exactly as they are. Be clear about acceptance as a beginning rather than an end of things. Acceptance is not a synonym for helplessness. It's a reference to the need to acknowledge the truth of a present reality, especially if we intend to manage our response to it. Love is non-judgmental awareness, the acceptance and acknowledgement of what is authentically unfolding in the present moment. Love is truth, the peak understanding of what is real and vital. The pioneering psychiatrist Roberto Asagioli wrote, Deep in each one of us there is an inner pull toward some higher form of life, an underlying but insistent urge that prompts us, like the flower which innately turns toward the sun, to look towards something greater than ourselves. Universal love imbues the plants, flowers, and trees with life. Not only do animals demonstrate loving care for their offspring, they often grieve the death of a companion. Love is everywhere. Even the mineral kingdom owes its cohesive strength to the vitality of this life force. The Body of God The word spirit originates in Old French and Latin words meaning breath. Divine will, God's mind or the Father, is the energy of spirit. Divine love, God's heart or the Son, is the magnetic force field. However, substantial manifestations of God's body, known as theophany, present a greater challenge. The Christian New Testament says God does not have a body. In John 4:24, Christ says, God is spirit. And in Luke 24:39, Jesus told his disciples, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Philosophers view the entire material universe and everything in it nature, the mother aspect, as the embodiment of God. Yet many religious people see no problem with visualizing the Creator in a human form. There are countless biblical references to God as invisible. In Exodus 33.20, God tells Moses, But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. There are many other references in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, Greco-Roman pantheism and Eastern Vedantism of God the Father appearing in a physical human body. Hebrew theophanies include Abraham's claim 
that God appeared to him in human form with two male angels at Marmra in the Hebron Valley. Abraham invited them to stay for dinner. Genesis 18.8 Also in Genesis 32.22-30, Jacob wrestles with a stranger who passes by late one evening. Eventually the man cries out to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. He then admits, You have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob later says, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. More commonly, God's disembodied voice is heard coming from a dense storm, a pillar of cloud, or a burning bush. The fear of idolatry and blasphemy prevented Catholic artists from painting images of God the Father in human form until the Renaissance. The best-known example, of course, is Michelangelo's fresco rendered in 1512 on the ceiling of the Vatican's Sistine Chapel. In 1682, sculptor-artist Kellen II went further carving a large marble statue of God the Father in human form. Conceiving the Godhead in the image of mankind creates other problems. The book of Proverbs lists half a dozen things that God hates, and there are countless biblical references to his divine anger. However, hatred and anger are signs of deep hurt and fear, qualities you would not expect from God the Absolute. A growing number of disaffected Christians find such idolatry degrading and puerile. Opinion polls show 37% of American adults now describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Nearly three-quarters of the people who check none when asked to select their religion say they believe in God as universal spirit. The main problem with portraying the Godhead as a remote and independent being is the consequential sense that God has abandoned us. All but the most self-aware individuals often feel alienated and alone, condemned to live in shameful naked bodies on a strange planet of separated and tenuous forms. We are taught to petition God with prayer, but not to listen for answers. We're told answers are only found in holy books written thousands of years ago by men who believed the sun revolved around a flat earth at the center of the universe, and the stars were holes in the sky dome where the radiance of heaven shone through. It's understandable that our ancient ancestors would personify divinity as a distinct human form. But everyone is now familiar with the invisible magnetic emanations of radio and TV waves. So we're much more likely to recognize the spiritual source of things as a universal force field of awareness, rather than a disconnected physical idol. Mystical Love Growing interest in spirituality free from religious dogma is essentially mystical because of its attraction to divine love as the congruent force field connecting all things. 
The supposition that everything in the universe is an inalienable extension, reflection, or fragment of divine love has traditionally been called pantheism. Religious fundamentalists spurn pantheism because it equates God with nature. Pantheism views all material things as sacred, which means God expresses itself as the vile snake as well as the noble eagle. God would be carnal and beastly as well as pure and perfect, fundamentally good yet permitting the existence of evil. Pantheists view evil as the absence of goodness and virtue rather than a force that resists or opposes virtue. But an argument can be made that evil is a necessary contrast to goodness. Further, if Satan opposes God's purpose, why would hell be an infernal of eternal suffering? If the devil ruled hell independently, it would surely be a festival of depravity and wickedness rather than a netherworld of torture and punishment. Panentheism expands upon pantheism by expressing its divinity as both imminent and transcendent. Imminent means God is in all things. Transcendent signifies all things existing within God while acknowledging God to be unlimited and therefore more than its manifested creation. Just as the ocean is in every cloud and raindrop, God as awareness must be present within all parts of its creation. Christ refers to the imminence of God in man when he says in Luke, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus goes further in the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, affirming both imminence and transcendence when he says, The kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. John quotes Jesus as saying, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And in the fifth book of the New Testament, Acts of the Apostles, Paul also describes God as ubiquitous spirit rather than form, saying, For in him we live and move and have our being. Mystical panentheists see a personal connection to divinity through love and awareness, the life force that imbues every scintilla of the physical creation and beyond. While developing his theory of the collective unconscious, Dr. Carl Jung explored mystical ideas of God as a relative truth, as distinct from a spiritual absolute. His notes include a passage that reads, The relativity of God, as I understand it, denotes a point of view that does not conceive of God as absolute, that is wholly cut off from man and existing outside and beyond all human condition, but as, in a certain sense, dependent on him. It also implies a reciprocal and essential relation between man and God, whereby man can be understood as a function of God and God as a psychological function of man. The Mysticism of Star Wars
Before writing his first Star Wars novel, George Lucas consulted mythologist Joseph Campbell about ancient metaphysical views of a universe suffused with a vital life force, not unlike the monism of Hermetic alchemy, Kabbalah, Rosicrucianism, Neoplatonism, Sufism, Vedantism, Buddhism, and Taoism. In the first film, the Jedi wizard Obi-Wan Kenobi describes the Force to young Luke Skywalker as an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. In the second movie, Yoda further teaches Luke, My ally is the Force, and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds and binds us. Luminous beings we are, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, me, the trees, the rocks, everywhere. The force in Star Wars has an evil dark side. Arrogance, selfishness, hatred, envy, greed, and anger. But the Jedi adage, may the Force be with you, refers to the good side. Love, conscious awareness, wisdom, truth, beauty, kindness, and compassion. As the film series progresses, we learn the dark side is ultimately the weaker of the two. The Qualities of Spiritual Love The qualities of love are many. A partial list includes caring, kindness, ethical conduct, acceptance, compassion, fearlessness, trust, respect, selflessness, generosity, gratitude, non-attachment, healing, the longing for justice, appreciation of truth, beauty, humor, humility, and patience. As a universal force field, Divine love, also known as spiritual awareness, consciousness, and the absolute, has several qualities similar to electromagnetic force fields and electricity. As energy, love has force and resistance, frequency and polarity, inductance and capacitance, radiance and magnetism. Unlike electromagnetism, love is redemptive, It heals, transmutes, and transforms as it grows, evolves, improves, refines, and uplifts. It is the way, the path, and the salvation from the suffering of incarnation, transmigration, fear, and mortality. More than an emotional feeling, love exists on many frequencies, from raw lust to romance. Friendship and kinship, humility and kindness, forgiveness, compassion, generosity, gratitude, equanimity, tolerance, patience, humor, aesthetics, understanding, and wisdom. Even the willingness to sacrifice your life for others is a phenomenon of love. Buddhist philosophy proposes four qualities of true love— Joy, loving-kindness, equanimity, and compassion. Each quality contains the other three 
in keeping with the non-dual view that separation of any kind is an illusion. The ancient Greeks also recognized four types of love, storge, philia, eros, and agape. The first three types are emotional. Storge is affection, fondness, or brotherly love, especially among family members. Philia is the bond of friendship. Eros is romantic and includes sexual attraction, passion, and intimacy. Once known as charity, agape is unconditional spiritual love. Unfortunately, both words, agape and charity, are now archaic. When not capitalized, the word charity has come to mean financial assistance and goodwill. When capitalized, charity formerly meant loving everyone absolutely and unconditionally as God loves by causing his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As an omnipresent force field connecting spirit and matter, Christian agape and charity are similar to the spiritual awareness of Eastern Vedantism. Although God and humanity are separate in Judeo-Christian and Islamic monotheism, virtual opposites following the fall from Eden, God and mankind commune remotely through the medium that is agape love or Christ consciousness. In about 800 BC, the spiritual Upanishads cultivated a non-dual actuality from the early Vedic philosophies. Sages realized that the appearance of separation is an illusion of the mind, that there are neither edges nor limitations to physical form, that all matter exists as fields of energy in a cohesive universe. The inclusivity of love as an omnipresent spirit is found in all spiritual teachings, even though religious practices are often limited by sectarian dogma. There is value in remembering that Buddha was not a Buddhist, Christ was not a Christian, and Muhammad was not a Muslim. They were all teachers of love as harmony, unity, and awareness. As awareness, spiritual love connects, harmonizes, and sustains all material form into extensions or reflections of one spiritual essence, one mind, one heart. The Om symbol, revered in Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism, represents non-dual monism, or panpsychism, unifying the Godhead, Brahman, with all things. Though mystics recognize spiritual love as inclusive, it has a particular affinity for organic life forms. Behind our basic metabolic rate, we are animated and illumined by awareness, also called love, etheric light, Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, Chi, Reiki, Kundalini, Prana, Mana, Orienda, Ruach, Baraka, Numa, Ilan Vital, and more. It correlates to the Christos, the divine breath, the Buddha nature, Nirvana, heaven, and the collective soul of all beings.
Love is awareness, the kingdom within. Emotional love is a subsidiary function of spiritual love, a lower correspondence, reflection, or extension of divinity. While spiritual love is unconditional, emotional love has its polarities, pleasure and heartache, fulfillment and desolation. When we become stressed or disturbed, our emotions swing from love into hurtful, fear-based feelings. Spiritual love induces many wonderful qualities of self-awareness into the mortal incarnate self. However, fear carried as muscular tension impedes spiritual love, leading to an entire range of hurtful, negative emotional feelings. Most people find the fear of living more terrifying than the fear of dying, and are more frightened of understanding themselves than of strangers. In her book, Return to Love, author Marion Williamson wrote, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Similarly, Toltec shaman Don Miguel Ruiz said, our biggest fear is taking the risk to be alive and express what we really are. The Swiss death and dying psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote, It is not the end of the physical body that should worry us. Rather, our concern must be to live while we're alive, to release our inner selves from the spiritual death that comes with living behind the facade designed to conform to eternal definitions of who and what we are. Fear is a nightmare and illusion, a signal indicating insufficient awareness and understanding. Like most emotion, fear is unreasonable. Little benefit comes from thinking about fear, anxiety, or stress, it must be resolved by intuition rather than logic, emotional affect, not rational conclusion. The fear of being alone, called separation anxiety or autophobia, is common. Yet others fear love and intimacy, philophobia. Nyctophobia is a fear of the dark, while heliophobia is a fear of sunlight. The fear of being out of control runs through all phobias except for paralipophobia, which is the fear of being responsible and in control. Phobophobia is the fear of fear itself. And panphobia is the fear of everything. Where is the logic in any of this? As the source of all love, universal spiritual love ranks the happiness of others ahead of the ego's self-centered desires. Craving the attention and affection of others suggests a backward view of love. We don't need others to love us before we can love them. Remember that love does not come to us from others, but rather through us to others. As those we love reflected back, it is amplified in a shared force field of love, kindness, humility, and compassion. Instead of needing others to love and care for us, we can give love without condition 
once we understand it as the primal life force coursing through us, love continuously radiates like the sun. Dark nights and cloudy skies may lead you to believe the sun has abandoned you, but be not deceived. We may lose the object of our love, but love cannot be lost. Not even death can extinguish love. As long as we allow ourselves to be emotionally vulnerable and spiritually aware, we will be filled with love without reason. In the light of this abundance of self-love and self-awareness, we aspire only to radiate our love of life outward in all directions, to lovers, friends, and enemies too. The Rubber Life Raft Metaphor Imagine two people adrift at sea in a rubber life raft. Neither can swim and they have no life preservers. One asks the other, What will we do if this raft springs a leak? We'd sink like rocks. They sit quietly, pondering their fate. Suddenly, one gets what appears to be a great idea and shouts out, Hey, since neither of us can swim, we'll just have to save each other. I'll rescue you, then you can save me. Obviously, this is an absurd idea. How can two non-swimmers save each other? Yet, consider the behavior of lonely, empty people who visit online dating sites, bars, and singles events looking for love from other lonely, empty people. In the initial flush of excitement, when romantic chemistry does occur, each is thinking, I'll love them if they love me. What kind of romance is this? We promise to fill each other's empty spaces as if I have no love and you have no love, so we'll just love each other. Really? And where will this love come from? Does that vow make any more sense than two non-swimmers promising to rescue each other if their life raft sinks? The curious part of this fabled romance, however, is that for 30 to 90 days it seems to work. Swept away by those wonderful, giddy feelings of love, we think about little else. We forget to eat and often can't sleep. As unrestrained joy and happiness spills into all areas of life, yet in time the emptiness returns, for it is our emptiness. Temporarily we were filled, not by another's love so much as by our own hope, expectation, and willingness to release our fear. Said simply, emotions are unique and personal responses. They are contagious, so... Other people, external events, and circumstances can stimulate them. But nevertheless, emotional feelings are our internal reactions to outside stimuli. To claim that someone made me angry or even made me feel loved is misleading. If ten people are insulted by identical words, each will show somewhat dissimilar reactions. Our emotional responses reveal us, not the provocateur. Initially, 
will feel victimized even after we've accepted responsibility for our emotions. So we must develop our self-awareness to reduce the time it takes to own a response. It's helpful to remember the famous Eleanor Roosevelt quote, No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. More completely, no one can make you feel anything without your consent. Strong, healthy relationships are built upon self-love. Recognizing our capacity as conduits of divinity to offer kindness, trust, and respect to others without judgment. Spiritual self-love is humble as we receive it from divine abundance, then offer it to the world, needing nothing in return. Egotistical self-love is not really love at all, but a pathetic clinging to our fear of being unlovable. To participate successfully in loving relationships, we must know what's lovable about us and what we have to offer others. The need to be loved. Being aware is more than being conscious, and being self-aware transcends being self-conscious. Consciousness means to be awake, alert, and responsive, while awareness implies a meaningful understanding of our individuality, relationships, and situations. Self-aware refers to understanding our desires, motives, and passion. However, self-conscious suggests an exaggerated concern about how other people may judge us as respectable, acceptable, and lovable. A few years ago, a client we'll call Nancy visited my personal development office in Los Angeles. The first thing anyone would have noticed about Nancy was her striking attire. She was dressed to impress, overdressed really, in a vivid red gown topped by a luxurious fur wrap. Large diamond earrings and a garish necklace sparkled and rattled as she moved. During our initial intake session, Nancy explained that she and her husband had recently won the California State Lottery, an especially large jackpot, she assured me. I congratulated her, then cut to the chase. Having encountered such good fortune, how might I be able to help you? I inquired. Well, my boss won't let me work for him anymore, she replied sadly. He thinks I should enjoy my wealth instead of coming to work every day. That made sense to me, so I asked Nancy, and this is a problem for you because... Because I love going to work, she said. Nancy spent the next few minutes explaining her job to me. She was an office manager for a small insurance company. Her skills included word processing, QuickBooks, and basic office management. Well, if you like your job so much, I suggested, why don't you apply for a similar position with another company? Obviously frustrated with me, Nancy squirmed in her seat. Because I like that job, she barked. She then began to tear up and dabbing her eyes with a fine linen handkerchief, said softly, I love those people. I need them in my life. 
I explained to Nancy, Needy love is not healthy. It's childish and pushes people away. Believing there is love in needing to be loved is like expecting hunger to nourish you. Watching Nancy's face to gauge her receptivity, I added, It'd feel a lot better if we worked to turn this around and help you be more independent. Only when we give love will we feel truly loved. Feeling lovable and loving is up to you. Unfortunately, Nancy was hearing none of it. She was terrified by no longer being needed at work, which to her meant no longer being loved. In Nancy's mind, winning the lottery had made her unlovable. Like so many, she thought love came to her from others rather than through her. Real love is unconditional. If we expect something in return, even gratitude, we're not presenting a gift, but instead making a purchase. Love is like faith. It's easy to believe the universe loves and supports us when things are going well. The question is whether our faith abides when circumstances appear to conspire against us. We are corresponding fragments of the one life, and when we love everyone for no reason, happiness abounds for no reason. Just as a dimmer switch reduces the brightness of a light bulb by increasing electrical resistance, fear and anxiety carried as physical tension diminish the life force we feel as love, happiness, and contentment. Feeling safe and relaxed lowers resistance, boosting the life force flowing through us. This added vitality promotes emotional and physical healing, uplifts our moods, attitudes, and energy levels, and illumines our conscious awareness, insight, and understanding. Love is letting go. Everyone wants more love and less fear. However, our fight-or-flight response triggers muscular tension, a feeling of holding on that resists the flow of love. Only when we feel safe enough to let go of tension will we again feel peaceful, loving, kind, and compassionate. Whenever you feel stuck, consider that instead you're holding on to tension, heartache, and false beliefs. It may seem counterintuitive to say fear is holding on and love is letting go, but watch people riding a roller coaster. Despite being securely strapped in, frightened riders hold on as tightly as possible. Those who love the excitement let go, raising their arms high above their heads, laughing and cheering. Even though our reflexive tension leads us to hold on to fear, it often feels like the fear is holding on to us. Rather than resisting fear, we must acknowledge it and the hurt it causes. Only when we fully feel all of our heartache and anxiety, even the most frightening, can we understand and release it. The urge to love unconditionally requires unrestricted awareness which means feeling all of your emotions, not just the positive ones. 
If we diminish our awareness to ignore or deny discomfort, whether emotional or physical pain, our brains will amplify it. In its place, the courage to allow all feelings to have their way with us without condition, even if it feels like we're about to be crushed or devoured, will vanquish our distress, anguish, and stinging tears. The theosophical teacher Jiddu Krishnamurti wrote, What is needed, rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or any other resistance, is understanding fear. That means watch it, learn about it, come directly into contact with it. We are to learn about fear, not how to escape from it. Reread that Krishnamurti quotation replacing the word fear with the word pain to see they are the same. The longing of the part to be whole. Finally, consider that the ebb and flow of love in our lives may result from incarnation itself. Torn from the spiritual fabric of divine love, we are born alone into a material world of separated form. By all appearances, solid objects stand apart. Consequently, many people spend their entire lives trying to reconnect, searching, reaching out, desperately hoping the love of friends, family, pets, or nature will rekindle the sacred love experienced as soul above and free of form. In the 16th century, St. John of the Cross described his feelings of having been abandoned by God as his dark night of the soul. More recently, the Italian psychiatrist Roberto Assagioli referred to his bouts of depression as divine homesickness. This longing of the part to be whole is love's magnetic nature, pulling us toward our spiritual source. The Big Picture Each one of us is an expression of spiritual love, the force of awareness. Love is the great I am of the soul, eclipsing the egoic me and mine. As rivers flow and plants bloom, the human soul extends itself into physical form, material components of the universal life force. Though we are familiar with the instability of emotional love, its spiritual source is fixed and constant. The pendulum offers an apt analogy for the relationship between spiritual love and its emotional corollary. The fixed unified pivot point at the top of the pendulum represents the eternal and unconditional nature of spiritual love. The weighted bottom represents the mercurial energies of emotional love. When we are contradicted, confused, or unaware for any reason, fear and anxiety shift us out of alignment with our spiritual source. The hurtful and upsetting fear-based emotions that result alert us to the need for greater self-awareness. As we understand ourselves better, we return to our relaxed, safe, and peaceful center and regain our loving, loved, and lovable feelings. 
The connection of emotional and spiritual love, represented by the pendulum at rest, has historically been called the way in Christianity, middle way in Buddhism, and the middle pillar in Freemasonry. Commonly symbolized by the spinal chakra system, the snake-wrapped caduceus, magic wand, king's scepter, wizard staff, and bishop's crozier, it is also known esoterically as the path, stairway to heaven, and Jacob's ladder. Exercises Review the key points about love in this chapter. Positive emotions, joy, happiness, contentment, equanimity, kindness, humility, and generosity are love-based. Stay the course. Negative emotions, sadness, disappointment, jealousy, frustration, anger, apprehension, embarrassment, and shame are fear-based. Make the changes needed to get back on course. Love and fear are not opposites like true or false, good or bad, winners or losers. They're complementary like two sides of the same coin, a pair of gloves or the poles of a bar magnet. Also, they are not absolute but relative since love often contains elements of heartache and fear. Love is energy like light and heat. Fear is the absence of energy, like darkness and cold. Fear cannot be overcome or conquered, but it can be released. Remember that anxious tension holds on to fear, even though we often feel as if the fear is holding on to us. Because love is divine and equally present everywhere, there's no need to hold on to it. Love is letting go of fear, the awareness and understanding that releases ignorance. 